morning, family. So I know that our time is, <laughs> is running out. So I'm going to just jump right into our last message on, our, on the Home Front series. And as mentioned earlier, we'll be talking about marriage today. And I know marriage is complex in that so many people have such different experiences when it comes to marriage. And some are perhaps not so positive towards marriage at this time. And, uh, you know, therefore, it's not something that we can talk about all the time. And because we're sensitive to just where people are and what people's experiences are and challenges are. But I would like to ask you this morning as a Christian community that we have to, at some points, hold up the things that we value and that we believe the Scripture values. No matter what our experience is, no matter what where we are in relation to some things. We have to stand together as a community and, and, and hold up what we value. Perhaps to strengthen it against the currents of culture that seems to be against some of the things that we value and also to speak into our individual experiences and trust God for His grace in that. So as we talk about this, can I ask that no matter if you've been married, if you're hoping to be married, if you've never had gotten married and never planned to get married or never get, going to get married again or whatever your situation is, let's gather around the scripture and let's hold up that which is obviously in the Lord's heart something quite important. What I'd like to do this morning is talk about marriage but from perhaps a bit of a different perspective and talk about it as a system that God put together that is quite a complex, multifaceted system. And for that, I want to use this. The scripture says in uh, Proverbs 30, verse 19, the, the writer of the Proverbs says that there's a few things in life that is too difficult for him to understand. And one of those is the ways of a man with a woman. Amen? How many of you have recognized and realized that when it comes to our relationships, romantic relationships, they are complex? They are difficult. There seems to be a mysterious element to it. There seems to be a bit of a puzzle that one needs to try and figure out how this works. And this is probably the most common and best known puzzle all over the world, the Rubik's Cube. Now, what makes the Rubik's Cube so fascinating is that this puzzle is a system. And to solve this puzzle, you have to understand the system. Because solving this puzzle, you can't just solve it on one side, you have to actually solve it on all six sides for it to be solved. And the challenge is, like I quickly this morning, and this is about as far as I can go with a Rubik's Cube, by the way. I know there's some really brainy people that can do it like with their eyes closed and everything. I can't. But just to solve the one side of the puzzle, you have to mess up the other sides. Everything you do affects all the sides of this puzzle. And that's, to me, what marriage is like. Marriage is not one thing. It exists on many different planes and dimensions, almost, in a sense. And there are different things that need to work together to make marriage what we see in the Scripture it is described to be. And I want to go, as we discuss this puzzle today, to the first place in Scripture where marriage is alluded to by God. And that is in Genesis 2, verse 24. In amongst all the big stuff that's happening, I mean, suns and moons are created, galaxies are flung, you know, animals are made, plants, the world, light is separated from darkness. It's this big event. In amongst all of that, God speaks about a detail. And he puts something in place 
that you sort of go, well, that's quite a bit of a detail in amongst all this big picture stuff. But he purposefully puts that detail in place. And the way he does it, it becomes a pattern that is often repeated throughout Scripture. This very verse that I'm going to read for you now, and I'm going to read it in some other portions of Scripture also, where it is quoted again and again and again throughout Scripture. And that tells you that this detail that God put in place may not be as astounding as all the other things that were happening in the creation event, but it is of great significance and importance. Genesis 2 verse 24. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Very simple statement. God doesn't really define marriage. He doesn't even describe marriage. He sort of, as a matter of fact, just says, there will be marriage. And then he mentions some things that if we draw it out, particularly through the rest of Scripture, that starts giving us an idea of what God is talking about. He's not even saying you must get married. He's just saying this will happen. And when it happens, this is what it must look like. It's like he's saying to us, I'm giving you a puzzle. And if you're going to solve this puzzle, you need to know what the puzzle is supposed to look like when it's fixed and sorted. So like when you buy a Rubik's Cube, it normally comes and all the sides are the right colors. And then you mix it up and then you've got to try and figure it out. Now imagine if you've come from somewhere and you've never seen a Rubik's Cube. And I give it to you and it's all mixed up. And I say to you, fix it. You might take a while to think, now what does it mean, fix it? What is it supposed to look like? When is this puzzle actually solved? It takes time. So God is saying to us, I'm giving you something, but I want to describe to you what it's supposed to look like. But again, he doesn't give us a lot. He gives a little. But throughout Scripture, what he's saying is drawn out for us and, and clarified and established better. So I don't know if I'm going to have time today, but what I wanted to do was to talk to you about the four sides, four of the sides, that is required in the system of marriage to work. And these four sides work together. You can't have one without the other. They are interwoven. This is an integrated system. Marriage is an integrated system of, of societal engagement and foundation of our society that God put in place. The first side that I'd like to talk about as it is given to us in Genesis 2.24 that I've read, where it says, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. They, plural, become one, singular. Is I want to talk about marriage, and what is mentioned here by God is men and women. In this establishment of marriage, what God describes for us here is a pattern of a relationship between two different genders, men and women. Can I read the scripture for you again? This is why a man, gender number one, leaves his father, still gender number one, and mother, gender number two, is united to his wife, gender number two, and they become one flesh. Two different genders coming together to form one unit. Very interesting. When God created, in his wisdom he decided that he will make humanity different than any other part of his creation, and he will endow humanity with this, right, this responsibility to be made in his image to reflect his person. Nobody else, nothing else that he made 
has given that clarification or that quality, only humanity. But then what he did is he created not one singular human, but two genders within what he made as humanity. In Genesis 1, 27, so God created mankind in his own image. The totality of humanity is made in God's image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So God, in some wisdom, decided, I'm going to make man to reflect who I am, but ultimately they will only be able to reflect me partially each gender. That he made women to reflect him in a certain way, and he made men to reflect him in a certain way. They are not the same completely. It's, it, it's not true, it's not how it worked, but it's almost like he took himself, divided himself in two, and said, men, you will represent this part of me, women, you will represent this part of me. You cannot have a perfect picture of God if you don't have both genders. In God's wisdom, he decided that he will be reflected in a differentiated but complete complementary union between two genders that are different yet the same. They're the same in that they're both humans, but they are different in that they were made to be different by God. They have different approaches to life. They have different viewpoints sometimes, different sensitivities, different experiences. And this is not a result of the fall. This is long before the fall. God made this in his perfection. He created them to be separate, same, but different. And there's no running away from that pattern. If you study the rest of Scripture... I don't know about you, but as I've looked at the rest of Scripture, I've never found in Scripture that pattern being deviated from. It's interesting for me that it says here, man will leave his father and mother, become one with his wife. So already it just assumes a pattern that will be repeated. A father and mother will have children that will leave home, that will join with somebody from the opposite gender, and they will become a new home, and they will, have fathers, they will become fathers and mothers that will have children that will leave home and join with somebody from... Can you see? There's a pattern that God is putting in place, describing. And right throughout Scripture, that pattern is just repeated. I have not found it being deviated from in Scripture. And this is the magnificence of God's creation. It's only in God's wisdom that he would think of putting two separate expressions that has to come together to fully represent him. It's only God that could think of that. I think if we created humanity, we would make them all the same so that we could avoid any conflict and problems. God says no. God says no. The only way you will see me is if two opposites come together. Two that are different come together. This differentiated but complementary union, God said, will come together. Remember on, in Genesis 2, it talks about when God created Eve out of Adam. He said to Adam, I'm going to put you to sleep. 
after Adam had come to the realization that he's alone, there's nobody like him, nobody that he can have equal relationship with. God put him to sleep. God created Eve out of him. And then when he introduced Eve to him, Adam said this, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. We are the same. You know, sometimes I have to read that scripture to remind myself that Natasha and I are the same. <laughs> Amen? It's like she took the bone, mosaiced it, painted it pink, you know, covered it in all sorts of different things, you know, and I can't even recognize that bone anymore. It's so different than what I am. We'll be married 30 years now coming September. And I'm telling you, yeah, amen, praise the Lord. Thank you for his, and, and I mean, we're only getting going. It's, it's only gonna get better. But I tell you, it's been an experience because of how different we are. We are the same. But how can two people that are the same, two humans, we have all the same, or mostly, the same parts. There's 95% of us is the same. How is it possible that we can be so different? I mean, the first years of our marriage, I thought the only way that we're going to make it as a couple is if she just can become more like me. <laughs> that would be the answer. Can I repent? We once had an argument. I was young. Forgive me. Say I forgive you before I tell you this, this what I did. And we were disagreeing about something. And I said these words. I said to her, you are reasoning like a woman, completely illogical. <laughs> you did forgive me already, eh? You just, I was young. I was stupid. Guess what her response was? You thought you're going to bed tonight. We will not go to sleep until we sort this out. <laughs> this viewpoint that you had. Needless to say, I don't think that way anymore. Well, not publicly at least, you know. No, I don't. We are so different that we sometimes think, Lord, what were you thinking? How is this possible? But God made it that the only way we can reflect him is if we are both completely who he made us to be together. Not one becoming more like the other. Not one ruling over the other. Not one saying, I'm going to give up who I am, and so we're both going to become like the other one. No fully being themselves as they were created to be. We often say in Christian counseling and in marital advice, we say to people, you you, 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 two halves don't make a right. Ah, a whole, sorry. I don't know how to, where I went there. Two halves don't make a whole. And what you're trying to say to people is, you know, you can't expect of your spouse or your future spouse to fill the hole that is in your life. You need to work on that. You need to become a whole person. Otherwise, you can't be a, a, spouse, a good spouse to somebody else. Amen? And that's absolutely true in some ways, but it's also not true in other ways. Because I cannot be a complete picture of God on my own as a man. Now I have to be careful here because some people will never get married. Can they be whole representations of who God wanted them to reflect? Yes. But within a marriage union, two halves make a whole. Two parts come together and reflect 
more fully who God is. Men can't reflect God. Women can't reflect God on their own. There's a place where we have to come together. So a man does not need a wife to complete him, but he does need one to complete, completely reflect who God is in a marriage union. I'm not saying that about people that are single. I'm talking about in a marriage union. There's something beautiful that God did. So the first side here is two, two opposites coming together. Two different, sorry, two different genders, two different sexes, male and female coming together in a union to fully represent who God is. To do that, they have to have the second side of this puzzle. And that side I will, cause, I will call the leaving and cleaving. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother so that he can become one with his wife. They can cleave together. There's a leaving and a cleaving. What does that tell us about marriage? It tells us that marriage is a separation into something exclusive. It's a stepping away from something. And that's very important. It's, in a sense, a stepping away from your comfort, your security, your stability. Because that's what it would mean. For anyone to step out of their family, it's to say, I'm going to leave that behind which shaped me, formed me, which is my security. Not despise it, but I'm stepping out of it. And I'm, 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 I'm taking the risk to step into something new that does not have the security, the stability, the certainty of what I came from, but I'm going to step into something new. In Genesis 2 verse 18, after God had made Adam and he surveyed, as I said earlier, creation, he said these words, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, how many of you know that God is perfect? He doesn't learn. God, there's nothing God will only get to know a thousand years from now that he doesn't know now. Or there's nothing that God knows now that he didn't know a thousand years ago. When God made Adam and Eve, God was perfect, complete within himself. He knew everything. He doesn't know anything more now than what he knew then because he is God. So when God made Adam on his own, did he make a mistake that he had to correct in Adam 2.0? No. I, I don't quite know. I don't think we can quite 100% certain say why God did this because the scripture doesn't tell us. But I do think he was trying to create, he was using special effects. To, to use a make a lesson that we would understand something important. He made Adam, he let Adam experience that it's not good to be alone. And then he said, now I'm going to present, I'm going to make a, a helper for you. Now, our problem is that word helper. We think that's a demeaning word. We think that's a word that classifies Eve as less than Adam, as lower than Adam. It's almost like we have this picture. Here's Adam. He's the one that must make things happen. And Eve comes along and supports and helps him. I don't think that's quite the picture that God had in mind when he used that word. Do you know why? Because let me read Hosea 13 verse 9 for you. Hosea 13 verse 9 says the following. God speaking to Israel. You are destroyed, Israel, because you are against me, against your helper. So God calls himself the helper. 
Do you think when God uses the word helper, that means that humanity is the ones in charge that needs to get things done, and God comes alongside us and helps us to get it done? Is that what it means? can't mean that. So what does the word helper mean biblically? And this is the very important part that we have to understand from the second aspect of leaving and cleaving. When it comes to making a marriage, both parties has to leave and come together in a vulnerability to say we are now both going together to make this work, to come together. None of us are coming into this with some superiority. We are both coming in to achieve, as, as, as Ben said earlier, in a covenant. A covenant is there where two people agree to achieve something together. So if I understand the first side, I recognize this marriage can't do what God has called it to do if I have my way. It can't do what God has called it to do if my spouse has their way. The only way this marriage can do what it was supposed to do is if both of us work together so that the marriage can do what it is supposed to do, which is to honor God. So we both come and we take a position of yieldedness towards something else. This is not my marriage. This is not your marriage. This is our marriage that is there for the glorification of God. Because it is supposed to reflect who he is. It is not the place where I have my will or you have your will. It is the place where God's will will be done and sought by two people coming together. And they assume that place of being the helper. And that affects the way we do everything in our marriages when we understand that. I know for many, many decades and centuries, marriage has actually been a an institution that favored men more than women. Still today in the world, there are cultures where women, women marry for security. Women marry to have somebody look after them because their culture and society is structured such a way that if a woman doesn't have a man, she can't live. There's still cultures today in this world where when the man dies, the wife gets buried, buried with him alive because she has no authority on her own. I mean, and, and that's common, has been throughout the world. I mean, re read Jane Austen, if you don't believe me. Whether it's whichever part of the world, it has often been, as it is said, men can marry for love, but women marry for security. Do you know that that was never the biblical idea? That's not how the Bible pictured marriage. Do you know what is the biblical reason to marry? You marry for love. It's the biblical idea. Go read Proverbs 5, that beautiful description of a marriage. It talks about how men and women love each other. Even in this, if we draw this out through the rest of Scripture, when God says a man will leave his mother and father, become one with his wife, it is the language of that is a language of you getting married to love each other, not to merely offer security. So sometimes marriage as an institution has been structured for the wrong reasons. It is supposed to be structured where two people come together to love each other. 
Many scholars, let me read for you some from a scholarly work. Many scholars consider this the most radical thing ever written about sexuality in the ancient world. Is this view of Christianity that people marry for love. The Christian approach to sexuality ran completely against the grain of Roman culture. Roman men had sex with everybody. They had sex with their slaves, with prostitutes, many of whom were actually young boys. A Roman man was not in any way expected to be sexually faithful to his wife. A Roman man typically only had sex with his wife when he was trying to pr produce an heir. But Christianity said something completely different. It, is, it said that a man had a responsibility to give to his wife her sexual rights. It is said that she had needs, and those needs were legitimate. It said that he needed to exercise self-control and to live with his wife with consideration and ultimately expected a man to be faithful to his wife. That was the biblical pattern of marriage. Both leaving, becoming vulnerable to step into a union that could be challenging because you're being united with somebody that is a bit different than you. Both coming. In most cultures, the woman leaves her family to join the man's family. It's not the biblical pattern. Because there's an equality that has to be achieved. So that's the third side. The fourth side, oh, the second side. The third side, I quickly want to get to, is for these first two sides to work it needs a third side, and that's the security of a lifelong pattern, of a lifelong commitment. That it is not possible for two individuated, different beings, genders, to come together to form a union that begins to fully represent who God is within the marriage confines. If there's not something that protects that union and gives it stability over their whole life, you won't be able to do that. If you had to say, listen, my dear beloved wife, we are so different. So let's give this the best go we can. But if it doesn't work after five years, then we just walk away. You can do that and it will protect but what it will do by definition is stop you from building towards that which is the first side of this. It needs that level of security. We are in this for the long haul. When it gets tough, we're not just going to run away. It requires that both have that attitude that comes together in a covenant to say, I'm in this with everything I've got. I'm in this with everything. I'm taking this place of vulnerability, leaving what I'm familiar and comfortable with and secure in, and I'm stepping into this with all I've got. This is not, okay, listen, my dear, I'm going to give you 90%, but in case this doesn't work, I've got, I've got some, you know, I've got a home to go back to. The moment you do that, you can't have what a marriage describes. You cannot have the pattern that God wants you to experience. So it requires lifelong commitment. And Jesus spoke about this in Matthew 9, verse 4 to 6. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. He quotes Genesis. So they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, 
let no one separate. He says, if you're going to experience what this beautiful thing is that I'm giving you, it has to happen within the understanding of lifelong commitment. Now, often you'll hear people say, I don't need a piece of paper to tell her or him that I love them. I don't need a ceremony. I don't need a, a pastor to come and officiate something. I don't need the government to give me a, a, a license. I love her or I love him and that's good enough for us. I understand that. But do you know why you stand in front of your community and make promises and speak vows to your spouse on the day you get married and that the government even requires that you make certain promises? Do you know why you do that? Not because of what you feel like today, but what you'll feel like in a year from now or in two years from now. Because not one of us can promise that I will feel in a year from now the same way as I feel today. I have come to believe that Natasha loves me always, but she doesn't always like me. <laughs> when she stood in front of our pastor and friends from this community and leaders from this community on the 5th of September 1992, and she made a promise till death do us part in sickness and in health, for richer or for poorer, and by the way, in our mind, the richer didn't even, there wasn't even a factor. It was just for poorer and for less poorer. And, you know, it was, that was going to be. When we made that promise, it wasn't to say, this is what I feel like now. It was to say that when I don't feel like that in five years from now, I still want to be held accountable to this promise. So, the, so you may not need the piece of paper today, but you may need it tomorrow. And don't sell your soul to somebody or get unequally yoked with somebody that says, I'm not prepared to make that commitment. Because you can have a relationship, but you cannot have what God describes as a relationship in a marriage. Lifelong pattern. And then the last thing is the mystery revealed. Ephesians 5, Paul says the following. And he quotes the same scripture from Genesis. So if the scripture is getting quoted throughout the Bible, we should listen. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each of one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself. The wife must respect her husband. So the fourth side of our puzzle that needs to be worked on is the fact that a marriage is not for itself. It's for a higher purpose. It is to reveal a mystery. And this is the mystery. How much Christ loves his bride, the church. That mystery becomes answered and shown in our marriages. So your marriage and my marriage is not merely about me. It's not even merely about my spouse. It is not even about us altogether. It's about making sure that God is known. And that He is revealed. We sometimes forget that the first people to hear these words in Genesis that Paul quotes, leave a mother and father, were most likely the wilderness generation of Hebrews during the time of the 40 years desert wandering. 
Their cultural frame of reference was Egyptian. They had been living inside Egypt, Egyptian culture for the last 400 years. In Egypt, only one person was ever referred to as the image and likeness of God, and that was Pharaoh. Pharaoh was Telem and Demuth. Pharaoh was image and likeness of God. He resembled God and represented God in a way that no one else did. That's how they, why they worshipped Pharaoh. But here in Genesis, Moses tells the recently liberated Egyptian slave class that they are all, each of them, male and female, the image and the likeness of God. They represent him and they resemble in some way what that is, they <laughs> and they resemble in some way that is not true of any other creature, that which is not true of any other creature. But they can only do it together. God elevates us. And he elevates the marriage union by saying, this is not a human arrangement. This is my will. Every time I officiate in a marriage ceremony, I always say to the couple, and I say to the community, this was not their idea merely. This is God at work. Only God can make two people one. He does it based on their decision, based on their desire to become one. But he makes them one. To represent him. And in this, this mystery is revealed. Remember, we spoke about the other three sides. So what the, the scripture is saying to us, that if we want to understand something about God's love for us, we have to understand how two different representations of God can come together to reveal who God is. How different is it that Christ, the perfect one, will be united with his bride, the imperfect, and together they will fully reveal the love of the Father. It said to us that you must be a helper that works together. Isn't there a greater story than what Philippians 2 tells us, that Jesus was perfect in heaven, living with the Father, having everything that he needed, secure in his authority. But because we needed it, because we were in trouble, Jesus stepped off of his throne, took on the very form of a helper, and came and lived among us to save us from our sin. This is what a husband does for his bride. So when Paul says in Ephesians 5, where he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. I want to run away. Because what Jesus did is he left heaven and everything that he was secure for. He left, in a sense, his father and mother's home, his father's home. He left everything behind. And because I needed it, not because he needed it, not because he was lonely, not because he was insecure, but because I needed it. He came and died on a cross for me. He helped me. And brought me into a covenant where he said, I will save you. And then the Bible says, husbands, love your wives in the same way. Husbands, die for your wives. And we get stuck on submission. That's not even worth talking about, man. Because that's the biblical picture. And then our third part of our puzzle was that it is a lifelong pattern. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Even if you disown me, I will never disown you. Because I cannot turn against myself. 
This covenant cannot be broken that I have made with you. Can we begin to see something of what a marriage represents? I love what one of the scholars said when they said, According to the apostle, the very nature of a covenant marriage, the intimacy, the mutuality, the love by the husband, the response from the wife, all of that was intended to say something visually and representatively about Christ and the church. Your marriage is a multi-point gospel sermon. That's what our marriage is. Worship team, won't you guys join me? With all the care and the love in my heart today and all the understanding, I've done lots of Marriage counseling, I've, like I said, been married for 30 years. We've been through our own challenges and struggles. I want to say to us as a community today, marriage is of high value in God's kingdom because of what it represents. It is something too big for us. It's a puzzle too difficult for us to solve, except by the Holy Spirit. Except by the, the truth, the, the biblical understanding of the scripture. Then it becomes possible that two fallible human beings, with all their fears and insecurities and pride and arrogance, can actually experience something that begins to look like how Jesus loves the church. It becomes possible because of what God can do. And God invites us. So I think it is important for us today to hold up marriage beyond our own experience, our own frustrations, our own anger, and beyond what our culture said it should be and what all the problems. And yes, we must look at the problems that there is, but we must do it from a place of this is something that God instituted that matters. And how do we elevate it to that level? I want you to stand with me. I asked the team this, in this week to just be ready for today and as I end the sermon. And, and I just felt as I was preparing and praying and I was up at four o'clock this morning preparing and praying and just for the weight of what I felt this is. And there's a sense in my heart of we're having to fight for something that is valuable in God. It may be that we're fighting for marriage, and it may be that there's some marriages here that we have to fight for. And I want to do both this morning. Can we do that? I'm going to ask the team to lead us in a song, and we're not going to be long. But can we, in this moment, say, Lord, won't you join with me? And let's, let's take a position of intercession in the Spirit. And say, Lord, when we look at the Scripture... In this brief moment that we had this morning, we begin to see something of what you are valuing and what you call beautiful and what you did when you, when you instituted marriage. We recognize, Lord, how bad we are at it. But we're not going to give up on what you have instituted. And today in this place, Lord, we lift up Marriage as an institution in our culture, in our society. We also lift up every marriage that's represented here today. Every marriage that has been, we include. Every marriage that will still come, we include. 
as a community together. And we recognize there are people that are here among us that are called that not to be married. And, and we value that, Lord, and we, we celebrate that. But as a community, we come together and we hold up what you call sacred, holy, beautiful, a revelation of you. So why don't you just join with me in just this moment as we just declare just a bit of declaration over this truth today. Just for a minute, and then I'm going to pray and release you. Can I ask that every person in this place that is a married person, just raise up your hand right now. Just say, Lord, I lift up my marriage to you in Jesus' name. And I bring my marriage to your feet. I put it at your feet. Because I recognize this marriage is not mine, Lord, for my purposes. It belongs to you for your glory and for your honor. And I, I assume a position of humility when it comes to this marriage. And I say, only with my spouse, Lord, can we achieve your calling and your purpose. Together, Lord. And we pray, Lord, for every marriage represented here with the difficulties that it may be going through, the, the challenges, some that are perhaps on the brink of falling apart, some that are in separation, whatever it is. And we pray, Lord, for your spirit to move and for your truth to bring freedom in Jesus' name. And I thank you for that, Lord. I thank you for that. And then, Lord, we lift up. Can everyone with me just lift your hands? We lift up the institution of marriage. And we know that in our culture, it's taken on many forms. And that sometimes it's become something that doesn't even look like what you describe in the Scripture. And we pray, Lord, that your church will arise in this time. And that we will, that we will be helped by your Spirit. And be strengthened by your Spirit to bring marriage into its rightful place, Lord, in Jesus' name. And that we will stand against what culture is trying to do and say, not because we're angry or fighting with anybody or against anybody, but just standing in that which we know that is your truth. And we pray that for the Christian community of our nation, Lord, for the marriages of Christians, and we pray, Lord, come and do a new thing in our nation, in, among, in our marriages, in Jesus' name. And we all together say... Amen. Amen. I'm going to release you this morning. Thank you for, for just giving us this time and for the moving of the Spirit among us. If you need prayer this morning, won't you please come to the front? Perhaps you're in a difficult place in your marriage. You may be here on your own. Come, let us pray with you. If you are online with us, then you'll see how to get in contact with us. If you're a couple and you just want us to pray with you, do that. Or for any other need that you have, come. And let's pray for you and trust God for his work in your life. May the Lord bless you. Have a wonderful day. Oh, and remember our Connect Lounge. If you want to know more about our church and God of our church and just how to be part of this community, come to my right-hand side. And may the Lord bless you.